Hey, hope you're having a good day. This is Elan, and I'm joined by Leah Fitzgerald today. Uh, Leah is a functional medicine practitioner, registered nutritionist, mentor, and coach with nearly two decades of in-clinic experience under her belt. She is a member of the European Fertility Society, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and British Association for Nutrition and Lifestyle Medicine. Leah is CEO and founder of Women's Health Network, a global community platform that trains, mentors, and supports women's health and fertility therapists who want to focus on nutrition, functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and coaching therapies. Um, Leah has just overseen globally recognized accreditation for Women's Health Network's signature practitioner training program. Uh, titled Fertility Expert Coach. And this 12-month training program is open for ongoing enrollment. Uh, through Women's Health Network, Leah offers functional medicine fertility programs to private clients and has a referral program in place with a wide range of women's health practitioners who are ready to support any women on their productive hormone or gynae health journey. So... Hey, Leah, how are you? Hi there. I'm very good, Elan. Thank you for such a lovely overview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on today. It's, uh, I, you know, I've been really looking forward to speaking with you because we've kind of chatted briefly, you know, on Instagram, on LinkedIn a bit, kind of uh, whenever we connected a year or, or two ago, I can't even remember. But, um, you know, it's been really fascinating to, you know, read a lot of your posts and especially that you you know, you specialize in functional medicine and IVF and stuff, because there's a lot of um, crossover with that, with what I do, because that's something that I would speak a lot of, uh, speak with a lot of my clients about, because a lot of them have been on a similar journey, whether it be, you know, with IVF or their own pregnancy or, um, you know, different things. So yeah, I'd like to be able to chat with you today. I'm so happy to be here, Elan, and I follow you as well, as you know, and I find your, I find what you do is fantastic as well, and the, the case histories that you show us are amazing as well, so I'm really looking forward to this chat and giving you all of the information I have. Brilliant, nice one, good stuff. Um, so I suppose, you know, the first thing that really interested me was, um, you know, around functional medicine, because um, that's something, like, I've been to a few seminars before with, with other people who... Um, are you know qualified in functional medicine and um a lot of people don't really know the difference i suppose between like what a you know a, a classically trained doctor would be versus someone who's in functional medicine so i was just wondering what um i suppose sparked your interest to get into functional medicine that's a wonderful question elan and you know something i think I think I had been working and probably like yourself, I think I had been working in functional medicine long before I even knew it as a title. So I suppose just over a decade ago, 2012, I started um, upskilling, retraining, and uh, I started a master's degree in nutrition. And I started, oh my goodness, I, I, there's so many diplomas around that time as well. Um, neurolinguistic programming, uh, advanced uh, practitioner stuff, this huge amount. But during part of my studies and um, encompassing I suppose the, the, the master's was um, the Institute of Functional Medicine's Applying Functional Medicine and Clinical Practice. That was part of my studies. And 
when I was introduced to this concept of functional medicine, the whole world actually opened up around me. I was like, this makes so much sense. And I suppose the best way to describe to your listeners and your watchers, Elan, is that um, when you, uh, uh, you've said that I'm teaching uh, students with fertility, they're all practitioners. Um, and when I discussed with them functional medicine, to give a brief snapshot of it, when, you, when we think of our hormones, okay, and these are the hormones your doctor will talk about, and you might be told some women who might be listening here now might be told your progesterone is low or your estrogen is high or whatever the case may be, and there would be a full stop at the end of it. Now, there would also be a, some form of an intervention program brought in by the GP or the, the medical consultant, but there's a full stop. Your estrogen, your progesterone is low, full stop. Functional medicine says, okay, that's great. I have a pointer. Now let's pull back away all the noise and let's peel back what's going on. And let's try and determine what's driving that estrogen or that progesterone being low. So functional medicine um, looks at where has function gone wrong at a really deep physiological um, sense. And we look then at the things that mediate um, dysfunction. And, um, you know, what, you know, what's what's pushing and driving your body's inability to produce enough progesterone. So that's what functional medicine does. It doesn't stop at like we don't I don't diagnose. But if somebody comes to me with a diagnosis, the investigation doesn't stop there. It has to go deeper to understand what has happened to function to to create this situation. And once you can determine that and find that out, then you can work to support the body to um, to eliminate the drivers of dysfunction where possible or to manage the drivers of dysfunction and hopefully help return function then better to the body. So that's probably the best way to describe functional medicine. And now wouldn't you be interested in that? So the minute I learned, I started learning this, my interest just kept going. I, I thrive on functional medicine. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, like one of the, the breakthroughs I had, I suppose, like understanding the difference was, um, uh, I'm not sure if, if you know Fanula McHale, um, but I think she's a classically trained doctor as well as um, she's in the Institute for Functional Medicine. But I went to one of her seminars a few years ago and like, uh, I don't know if it was from that or from some further study that I did, but I kind of realized like with our current system, the way that a lot of doctors work, and, and this is nothing against doctors, but just the way that the system is set up, it's that you're essentially putting a bandaid on the wound. You know, it's like, it's, you're addressing the yeah. symptom, but you're not addressing the cause. And so a lot of like a, a practical example would be um, a lot of women that I've worked with, if they have a regular cycle, if they're struggling with like PMS symptoms, um, like low mood or um, low energy or, or different things like that, a lot of doctors will straight away just be like, okay, take this pill or take this yeah. antidepressant. And it's like, that's not solving the issue. You know, there's, there's, as you said, there's an underlying thing going on to, to figure out. 100%. And you know, that's so interesting because with estrogen and serotonin, serotonin, our feel good neurotransmitter um, is a hormone. I mean, only 1% of it is actually in the brain. The rest of the 99% is elsewhere in the body. Um, but estrogen and project or estrogen and the serotonin receptors, you know, are in the same place in the cell and they have a huge effect on each other. So, um, so yeah, so to give you this pill for some, it might be absolutely necessary in that moment, but let's work behind the scenes as well to separate out what might be driving this, this, this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's like the really powerful thing because you could take the pill um, or, you know, you could, 
uh, I'm not saying that pill, but it could be any pill, you know, take some type of type of pharmaceutical intervention, but that's not a long-term solution. You know, it's, it's very kind of short, short-sighted. And of course, like it's helpful for some people, but it's, it's amazing how powerful, you know, if someone was to work with you, you can actually help them like dig deeper into that and figure out what's causing it. Is it, you know, is it your food? Is it your stress levels? Is it, you know, some emotional trauma you've been through? Is it, you know, it could be a wide variety of, of different things that you might have experienced at some point in your life. Yeah. 100%. And you know, that saying, um, Napoleon says to his army, you don't, you know, you, you march on a, on a full stomach or a healthy stomach. It's actually you march on a healthy intestine because if yeah. the intestines are right, then, you know, you there's that, that um, upstream effect from there. So, so you're yeah. absolutely right, Elaine. You have to start looking at different things that isn't built into the, the modern medicine model. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, because you specialize um, in like IVF and helping people with, with pregnancies and stuff, I wanted to kind of delve a bit deeper into that topic. Because um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've I've worked with a few people where we've, you know, openly discussed kind of their journey. And some people that I've worked with have had successful journeys, whether it's with their IVF or, or with pregnancy. And then some people, unfortunately, haven't had a successful journey with IVF for for many different reasons um and i suppose like i was wondering what are some of your top tips to like let's say health like ensure a healthy pregnancy for someone who wants to conceive naturally and then maybe for someone who uh decides to go down the ibf route absolutely perfect so um i would say that the tips would be the same for both which is wonderful there might be a few additions you would put in with the ibf but for both the the, the top tips would be the main ones would be top three so the first one would be to minimize what we call endocrine disruptors now endocrine disruptors are chemicals that you can get from the environment and through plastics through through perfumes anything that has a chemical in it and some of them are what we call they disrupt our endocrine function and the reason behind that is because these chemicals are shaped very similarly to our hormones okay to some of our hormones so you have your cell okay and i often describe it as imagine the postman coming to to your door and your your door is your cell and and the postman is your messenger your hormone because hormones are messengers and so the postman comes to the door knocks on the door and wants to give you a parcel with information on how to set up your new washing machine okay so that's what hormones are doing. They're coming to our cells. They're either going into the cell or they're going to sit on the cell and they're going to give that cell a message so that the cell can carry out a function so that the tissue can function. Um, but what happens with endocrine disruptors is that they come and they knock on that door first or they sit into that cell or sit onto that cell. So then when your hormones come to sit into that cell and give the cell a message, there isn't space for them to access the cell. Um, which also means that 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 hormone is is in circulation now in an imbalanced form. Okay, so everything should be pretty well balanced within the body. So endocrine disruptors would be my first thing to try and minimize. So this would be minimizing the use of plastics. Okay, especially things like cling film. I mean, we know research has shown us that. And um, plastic molecules have been found in blood and tissue within the body. So we know these plastics are getting into the body and these plastics are often the endocrine disruptors. So cling film and um, 
If you have to use thin film, I would say please don't. But if you're determined to, don't use it on fatty foods or warm foods. The fats can help pull the molecules into the food, the molecules of plastic into the food. And um, if you're using Tupperware to reheat something in a microwave, if you use a microwave, that's another subject. Um, so I would say don't don't reheat in plastic. And if you're using plastics, like we, we often receive those Tupperwares that you might have had bolognese in it six months ago, and the orange color is still at the bottom of the of the of the Tupperware box. That shows that that plastic has been damaged. And if it's if you're going to heat something in it, that damaged plastic is going to leach into your food. And um, so minimize those things and um, minimize drinking out of a plastic bottle. Don't leave a bottle heat up, but anything you can to minimize plastics would be a, a win. And then I would minimize um, perfumes, fragrances, anything like that. But you cannot avoid endocrine disruptors. And I would never expect anybody to, because you know what, you'd have to go live underground somewhere and you'd still find them actually underground. So, um, so I would say don't become um, over concerned about it just do what you can <clears throat> so that would be my first one my second tip then for everybody across the board would be to make sure that your vitamin d levels are in the optimum range now you might get tested um, and you might be told your vitamin d levels are fine i don't like the word fine when it comes to pregnancy especially anybody struggling you're already probably not on, a, on an even playing field to the others we're trying to get pregnant and aren't struggling. So let's really up the ante with everything for you. So I would say um, optimum levels of vitamin D. So over 75 um, is what your reading would want to be. Some Over there, sometimes around um, 85. You don't want to go outside the optimum range because there is a U-curve in vitamin D, but stay within that optimum range. If your GP can't test you, some can't, depending on what lab they're going through, a nutritional therapist will be able to test you. So it's just a simple blood test from your finger. So vitamin D levels, vitamin D is a hormone actually, it's a hormone-like substance, and, and it's really important for um, for fertility. And we know the vitamin D receptors are found in the ovaries, the uterus. So it is important. Um, and as you go through pregnancy, baby will be gobbling up your vitamin Ds. So, uh, you know, we might talk a little bit about that in a moment, maybe. And then I would say eat the rainbow because the more colorful foods, especially in the fruit and veg that you eat, you should be eating between seven and nine fruit and veg a day, but no more than three of those should be fruit because of the glucose content. Um, and so you should be eating as wide a range of colors as you possibly can, because each color in a food um, represents a different antioxidant. And antioxidants are what we need to clear out all the debris and rubbish within the body to promote the health of the oocyte, which is your, your, your egg that you're growing to promote sperm health. So for anybody, and to promote the, the uterine lining, so for anybody trying to get pregnant, antioxidant therapy is something that should be in there for you. And you can do this yourself by eating the rainbow. And the more water content to the fruit and veg you're eating, you should be looking at eating it in its organic form if possible. So there would be my top three ones for anybody trying to get pregnant and during pregnancy. Nice. Sounds good. So um, with the first one, uh, I read a, an interesting book about that a few years ago. It was called Estro Generation. And it was all about, you know, uh, using BPA-free products um, um, and it, kind of trying to avoid uh, phthalates. Um, yes. So I think phthalates are what are kind of come out of plastic that get into your to your system, um, if I remember correctly. But with a, like a practical solution for that, would it be like 
okay, instead of having a plastic container, um, you know, having something or like instead of drinking out of like, let's say a plastic bottle, you could have a um, like an aluminium bottle or something like that. Or you could have 100 percent. Yeah. Or glass. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That, that, that's exactly the advice I give to my clients. Yeah. That aluminium bottle or a glass bottle, but definitely not a plastic. And if you have to drink out of a plastic one, drink out of it once. You know, if it's one that you buy in the shop once and it's gone, don't let it heat up. Don't let it in the front of the car sitting with the sun. If we ever have sun shining down on top of it, um, you know, so minimize where possible. But I suppose don't get caught up in getting anxious about it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just important to have the the balance between doing as much as you can, but not worrying about trying to be perfect either. 100%. Cool, sounds good. Um, And then you mentioned something interesting about vitamin D. So like um, generally, if you go to a GP and a doctor tests you, when they look at bloods, like they're most likely just looking at what the the recommended amount is right they might consider your actual personal circumstance of you know let's say if you're really active or if you train a lot or you know if you are um if you do want to conceive they're probably only thinking of like the average person doing the average yeah. thing you know so 100 oh you're talking my language Elon. i certainly don't <laughs> you really are and and that's so interesting because the, uh, so the, the the basic level when we're told the recommended daily allowance, that's the amount you need to get so that you don't slip into disease. That's okay. not the amount to, to, to promote health within the body, you know. And, um, and, and you're so right, because depending on what's going on with person's stress, infection, the body gobbles up vitamin D when it needs it. So, so it's compl- it should be personalized. That's 100% what it should be. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah. And because... Um, that's something that you know is kind of brought up a lot like if you look on a nutrition label for something you'll see the recommended intake but a lot of people don't realize like the recommended intake as you said it's like to literally avoid disease or you know serious health issues but if you actually want to be the healthiest most energetic best version of yourself you would probably need to be like above that so like with um with food for example like with protein the recommended intake is like one gram per kilo of body weight but if you actually want to get fitter stronger have more energy feel fuller more satisfied you probably want to be closer to like 1.5 grams of protein per kilo uh, of body weight so would that kind of apply then to like when you're looking at someone's bloods like let's say with vitamin d you said um for someone trying to conceive maybe it would be like around 75 or or 80 um what would be like the what would like a normal doctor look for if they were looking at your vitamin d absolutely so it definitely wouldn't be in the optimum range so it would be the range lower than that which is the which is called the normal range and that would be something between um maybe is it 45 or 55 up to 75 and so on paper it might look oh yeah you're normal but as well what we must remember is that often when ranges are being calculated it's against the average population and Elan, you know full well that the average population is getting sicker so you're measuring yourself against a, a, an average population that's not that well anyway probably so mm-hmm. i mean you know so i would so optimum if one thing that people come out of this with it's let's optimize everything why would we want everything to be normal if normal isn't working right now we need yeah. to bring it up a step 
for sure yeah and at the end of the day like who wants to be average like I know I want to definitely be way above average you know so I'm sure a lot of people feel the same um so some of the other questions I had around pregnancy and and IVF um what in your experience makes it more challenging to have a baby whether it be IVF or or without yeah absolutely so you know what even the smallest so there's a couple of ways to look at it physiologically and then let's look emotionally I suppose physiologically one of the most difficult things is a very could be a very simple hormonal imbalance or an end very simple endocrine imbalance that maybe might not even be detected um on medical tests but that imbalance is there so often you know you would need to really work with the client to figure out what symptoms are they are they experiencing is there something out of sync that isn't being picked up and might need to be tweaked so that that would be one of the main challenges is sometimes finding, especially with idiopathic infertility, which is your unexplained infertility. And um, the challenge is often trying to trying to find out for them what what can we change and tweak to, to help bring this your hormones um, back into better sync. Um, and I suppose then another challenge for anybody trying to get pregnant is where do I get the right information? Where do I get it from? And. Um, you know, I, I always say to my clients and I say to my practitioners who I'm training, what is your client's pain point? And the answer coming back is usually to get pregnant. And like, well, actually, no, your pain point, you're coming into me for something different. Maybe you're coming to me. And the first thing you're saying to me is, I don't know what to eat. So maybe that's your pain point. You know, you should be eating certain foods or including certain foods in your diet. What supplements should I be taking? And. Um, you know, because again, you're, you're on Dr. Google, who can start you down a few rabbit holes. Um, but uh, you know, you've all this information in front of you, and you really don't know where to start. So that can be a challenge. So I think physiologically, there are challenges. And then with information, there are challenges. And Elan, the IVF route, I mean, you know that my children are IVF children. And I was working in this field before I even knew I would have to go down the route of fertility treatment myself. And um, for somebody who should have known what she was doing, I was completely blindsided by the clinic. I didn't know what was expected of me. I did. I just it was just overwhelming. So that can be a huge challenge. So and another challenge for women if they're trying naturally as well it can be, you know, when when is what's, what is my fertile window? When is that? And I'll tell you your fertile window for anybody who really wants to know. It's about a five or six day gap. And it starts, we'll say, um four to five days before ovulation and it ends the day after ovulation it really ends the day of ovulation but you know you you can have another day's grace after that so you should be trying to get pregnant before you ovulate because once you've ovulated you only have a window of a couple of number of hours for that egg to fertilize so one challenge can be mapping your fertile window where is it when is it there are certain signs we look out for often we look at um ovulation sticks I don't rely on them at all because anything like that can be unpredictable but your body tells a great story and if you could focus in on what your body is saying to you you can get you know it becomes less challenging to find that fertile window and you become empowered I suppose to be in charge of this journey and not have somebody else taking charge of it for you nice yeah that's really interesting so as as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, usually a good sign to tell if you are in ovulation is your body temperature will usually rise a little bit by maybe half a degree, or or you might know yeah. you feel kind of more hot or, or sweaty than than usual. 
Absolutely, that can, and that's a surge of your hormones that trigger ovulation. Now, if I got that surge this morning, by the time I got to my husband this evening, my egg is gone. Oh, you know, so okay. you need to know you need to know these signs beforehand. And the cervical mucus is the main one that you'll be looking for. So you're looking for changes in the mucus for about five days. It should change from a mucus that is quite thick to a mucus that is like a runny egg white. That's literally what you're looking for. Um, and that is showing that you're coming up to ovulation. So that is, so when your mucus starts to change, you're like, okay. And sperm lives for up to five days. Now it's the first 48 hours really worth of sperm are, the, are probably the best guys. And um, so that's why you're trying to um, conceive in before ovulation because the sperm will survive, the egg won't. Mm -hmm. So if somebody was to try and map that out, like um, obviously not every cycle is going to be 28 days, but if let's just say it was 28 days and ovulation is, is usually right in the middle, is it at, at 14? Absolutely. So for the cycle, that's 28 days. You can pretty much say, okay, I have confidence that ovulation is probably day 14 for you. It could be day 13, it could be day 15, but it's pretty much there. Most women don't have a 28 day cycle. So some women would have 32, 35, 26, 21. And so you need to see, look for your own signs of ovulation because you know it, it, it can be so easily missed. And I suppose the, the main thing that I look for then as well, Elan, is that when a, when a woman ovulates, how long is the next stage of her cycle, which is called the luteal phase, because that's the phase where um, the, the follicle that was holding your egg is now producing um, progesterone for you. And that and progesterone is the hormone of pregnancy. So that's what helps us carry pregnancy. That's why some women going through IVF will be put on progesterone medication for the first 12 weeks um, or maybe it's six weeks. Um, but so, so I suppose that luteal phase, if it's too short, then you won't have a window for implantation, really. The window for implantation would be too, too small. Estrogen won't have, have had its, its effect, won't be as, as prolonged. So if you have a woman, no matter when she, no matter when she um, ovulates, and hopefully you'll be able to find where ovulation is, you need to try and see how long that second stage of the cycle is, or the fourth stage, actually, that's the fourth stage of the cycle. How long is that stage? And it should be 11 plus days. Anything shorter than that, the window is, is too short for implantation, or if implantation does occur, it might the pregnancy might not be carried mm -hmm. okay interesting so if someone was to try and map that out um let's say they haven't done it before they've never tracked their cycle before uh would the easiest way be to like let's say the day that you get your period you write that down as like day number one yeah and, and then um kind of just take it maybe a little note each day of like how you're feeling and then once you um let's say take a note every day and then you get to the point where you you feel that kind of little increase in temperature then you could know that like okay roughly when it's 16 days in I'm kind of at the middle of my cycle so could you do something like that where you do maybe one cycle to map it out and then the next cycle could be like okay now I know kind of when that's that's happens. perfect that is absolutely ideal so I would definitely do something like that so I would so day one of your cycle is the first day of a, of a real bleed so if you have spotting and today and tomorrow you get a heavy bleed tomorrow is actually day one so um so you would so yes so I would map how am I feeling 
estrogen is the hormone that gives us energy. We become very creative. So you'll find that creativity and that energy growing in a woman in that first two weeks of their cycle, if we're taking the 28 days as the norm. And so and as estrogen peaks, which it does, estrogen will start to peak. You know, you, you become very interested in your partner if there is a partner and you can be really creative. You're full of energy. These are some of the signs we need to look for, you know. So so how how what is my body saying to me? And then the temperature rises well. Um, you can you can do the basal body temperature charting, which is testing your temperature every morning. Now, key here is not to move when you're doing it, because the minute you sit up in bed, your core and um, temperature will rise. So I would say if your temperature testing, have your temperature gauge next to you and you know one hand and test. That's literally it without moving. And um, for some women, that increase in temperature mightn't be as evident. So the main things then would be looking for those mood changes and the changes in the cervical mucus. And if there's no cervical mucus, you see, then that's an issue within itself. So cervical mucus would be the main thing I'd be saying for women to start get to know, you know, start to understand your cervical mucus. It should it will disappear pretty much after ovulation. And um, so when you see it coming, you're like, oh, gosh, some women will never have noticed it. But once you notice it once, you'll always notice it. And then you can see it change. And as I say, when it gets to that really see-through egg, egg white, uncooked egg white, and um, then, you know, this is you're, you're within your fertile window. And the, for the past couple of days, you've been within your fertile window as well. Amazing. Yeah, that's um, it's really good information to have because it's like it's so empowering then when you know what to do it's like you have a bit of a plan and then it's like you don't have to guess or you know the uncertainty that comes along with not having awareness of kind of how your body why and so yeah that's amazing um and when it comes to like let's say going down the ivf route like you said with with your experience like you you weren't really sure of what was expected of you or what maybe you had to do and things like that so like now that you've been through your own journey and obviously have so many people, um, what do you feel is like the the easiest way for someone to get started in that, you know, would it be to contact you and then point them in the right direction or like, what do you think is best? Absolutely. So I think with most uh, women or couples or men who are thinking of going down the route of IVF, you'll probably first contact your GP. That's the norm. That seems to be the norm. Um, and your GP then will set you up on the, the bloods that will need to be taken. You, there are a number of bloods that would need to be taken just to get an idea again of what's going on with your cycle and your hormones. But I would say, please, please, please. And I mean, this has come through feedback that I get from my clients. This has come through. Um, I work with a psychologist, a fertility psychologist. And um, this comes back all the time that women wish to God they had had somebody with them who could talk them through this journey. So a fertility practitioner, fertility coach, somebody like yourself, Elan, somebody that understands what's going on, that can talk the jargon, that can ring your clinic if you need, and um, that will, will, will help you navigate that journey through the IVF jungle, because it can be absolutely, you don't know which way to turn. There's so many things, so much noise around that journey. So somebody that will help you navigate that and somebody who will support you through it all. 
as well as optimizing your fertility cells, your reproductive cells, as you're going along. So you have a double family of the physiological side, you're trying to improve your chances that side all the time. And then you have that emotional supportive side. And Rebecca Redden, who is a wonderful um, psychologist, she's a fertility and women's health psychologist. And um, often we talk about um, mothering the mother, that this is a stage of life that for women, especially going through this journey, they need to be mothered to a degree. And a mother is supportive, caring, tries to get you all the right information. So if we can kind of think of it that way, that it takes a village to raise a family, as we all know, it also takes a village to bring a person through a journey that they don't understand or know. And if we can do that with care and empathy and support, you're really supporting that emotional side of the journey, which can be a very heavy emotion. Um, and it can, you know, emotion, that type of emotion can carry a lot of pain with it as well. So I would say physiologically, let's get you the best eggs that we can. Emotionally, let's support you and have your back, as they'd say. And then, you know, let the medical field do what they need to do as well. It should be a wraparound service, a 360 service around the person going through the fertility IVF journey or any of the reproductive techniques, you know, if they're going alone, if they have a partner, you know, no matter what the dynamics you need extra support mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing like um over the years i've realized that's so important and that's why i'm like doing holistic health coaching now because you need support mentally physically emotionally and then yeah. some people spiritually as well but definitely the first yeah. three yeah. Uh, so that's that's really cool to hear um and so i was wondering like um you know because like for a lot of people that I've spoken with, like, um, you know, they've mentioned how with the emotional side of things, um, there's obviously a certain amount of pressure that they feel, you know, from could be their parents, could be from society, could be whatever, you know, that they feel that there's a certain expectation that maybe that they have to have kids. And so then the pressure of that causes stress. And obviously then that stress can manifest itself in in your body um and so like i want to get your opinion like when it comes to something like stress like how big of a impact do you do you feel like that has on the ability yeah. you know to conceive it can be absolutely huge so i mean first of all you have that emotional impact and how do you buffer that and what i love doing with clients is um writing up a wheel of support or a system of support, who's the friend that makes you laugh, who's the confidant, who's the person at work that if you're having a really bad day and you're like, you know, if it, especially if you're going through IVF, who's the person at work that will hide you, that can say, go in there now for half an hour and I have your back. So I suppose that would be, be one of the, the main things I would say. But when it comes to stress, and I'm so glad you, you opened this up, is that so with fertility or your reproductive health there's there are a number of axes and an axis is something that within the body where there's a communication between a certain system or certain organs and one axis within the body is called the oat axis so the ovarian the adrenal and the thyroid axis and i always explain it as a three-legged stool and once your ovarian health is good your adrenal health is good and your thyroid health is good you can sit on that um three-legged stool and there won't be any wobbling the stress hormone is produced in the adrenal glands, okay, and our stress hormone is absolutely wonderful, cortisol, which would be our long-term stress hormone, so if you have, we all are probably churning out too much cortisol, you know, when you have that foot on the, the 
accelerator of life. And when you don't take time out, you don't take time to relax or meditate, you're, you're probably all push, pushing out a lot of cortisol. And cortisol can, it's, it's wonderful, it helps with our immune function, but it can also compromise that axis. If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if your adrenal glands are overworked, um, you can, and if there's an imbalance within the hormones that that's producing, you can imbalance that three-legged stool and it, can, it will have a knock-on effect on your thyroid health and on your ovarian health. So you, you're, you're imbalanced. So stress is one of the main things that we do need to focus on and try and manage and put you know stuff in there to buffer. Um, and then of course our cells can be stressed and our cells can be stressed from inflammation, which comes from a bad diet, a bad lifestyle, and once the cell becomes stressed, um, it's your mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell, which is also where we're creating and synthesizing our hormones. Um, and you know what we should be doing is we should be reeling, I suppose, if we're really going down to that functional medicine, you know, through through a, a looking glass, we should be looking at mitochondrial health as our base. If we can promote mitochondrial health, and Elan, you would be the, the, the person here who would be the expert because you know exercise, etc. We can build more mitochondria, we can get more energy out of them. And um, so if we start there, if we protect ourselves and then we protect ourselves with regards to stress so that we can protect our stress hormones and our stress um, glands, that will have a, a, a knock-on effect then on helping to protect the, the reproductive system where possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I think a lot of people don't, um, they don't really give stress the credit that it deserves, you know, like, because it's just so widely accepted that like, okay, work 40 hours a week or work 50 hours a week. Or if you're in some professions could be 60 or, or more. And it's like, because it's just like the done thing, you know, a lot of people yeah. don't realize how it actually has such a massive impact yeah. on your whole body. And then the downstream effect of, of that stress building up over months or maybe even years is, as you said, of the effect on your adrenals or that is a really yeah. nice analogy. You know, if you, if you kicked one of those legs fuel out and you're on two legs i mean you're going to be on the ground uh you know in a split second so. there you go there you go you're absolutely right and you know what stress can also be infection and inflammation so we have that mental stress and we have physiological stress and the body's reaction to it is the same so that stress response will be kicked in um you know and and once that stress response is kept going then that's when we start to see problems we need stress stress is good for us to a degree because it helps us it helps the, this our body function well but not the type of stress the modern lifestyle has that's that's above and beyond what we should be looking for yeah definitely and i think an important thing to note out with cortisol uh a lot of people would maybe think like oh cortisol is a bad thing because it's a stress hormone but as you said you know a certain amount of stress is important and if you look at your circadian rhythm for you to wake up and have energy in the morning you want a spike in cortisol and then for you to be able to relax and fall asleep at night you want to drop in cortisol so having that healthy um amount in your body and and being aware of what circadian rhythm kind of works well for you like when to wake up in the morning when to go to bed they're all like maybe things that people take for granted that like would you say that could have a positive knock-on effect with somebody's uh, ability to conceive like let's say if they were to have a really good setup with their sleep where they're like okay uh they've worked out that waking up at maybe 7 30 and going to bed at 10 30 and making sure that they're getting maybe 
you know, eight hours of sleep per night, like that could have a massive positive effect. Absolutely. It really could. And as you said there, that that, that rhythm, that, that cortisol rhythm, it's, as you say, it peaks in the morning and then it drops throughout the day. And often what you'll find then is that people at around, as you say, maybe 10 o'clock, half nine, 10, half 10, they're like, oh, I'm exhausted. But they'll push through it and they're like, you know, I have a second wind and they're delighted with themselves. Don't be delighted with yourself because you have pushed past what your body is telling you. Your body, when it hit that time of, oh, I'm really tired, that's your body saying your cortisol is low. It's time for sleep. Now, as well, when you sleep, then you have the effects of melatonin and all of these work together to promote reproductive health. So if you're ignoring, we talked about listening to the signs of your body, that's one really clear sign of the body. So don't push through it and look for the second wind because now you have brought your hormones, your stress hormones out of sync. So listen to what the body is saying. Yeah, for sure. That's like, it's such a simple thing, but like a lot of people just take it for granted. You know, it's like getting enough sleep per night. It's kind of, it's not really given as much credit as it deserves, you know, because it's it's literally like when I work with people, it's like the number one thing that I get everyone to focus on. Because it's like if it's like uh, if you built your house uh, on a foundation of sand, what's going to happen? You know, yeah. it's not going to be there. there. You go. So sleep is like that for your health, essentially. Uh, yeah. So 100%. it's really important to look at like all these like different areas. Um, but of course, then it can become overwhelming. So as you said, having that support with the right people around you and having a community of people that you know, like, and trust, like that's going to be make it yeah. so much easier. Yeah, 100%. And you do need that community. You can't do it alone. We can't do anything alone. And if you have somebody, as I say, a fertility coach, a fertility practitioner, if you have somebody that knows the language, that knows what you're going through, that can explain the tests to you, that can explain what the GP or your medical consultant has said, you know, and, and alongside that can promote your health to go with it. You're, you're 40 steps ahead of yourself, which is wonderful. Amazing. Um, so I know that you've, you've got decades of experience working with a lot of different people. So I suppose for, well, both for me and also some, for people listening, it'd be, if you're open to sharing, it'd be interesting to hear like maybe, uh, a success story you've had of working with somebody in the past and, you know, given maybe like a, a deeper look at how you were able to work with that person and maybe some different things that you did and, and then, you know, the results at the end. Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, I, I, oh, when when we when I get a success in clinic, it can be really overwhelming, and you know, it can be empowering, and it's just wonderful and it balances then I suppose the the emotive side of this this work because fertility can be a very emotive subject of course so I've had I've had so many successes at one stage like I, I would some months I would reach an 80 to 90 percent success rate and at one stage I said to somebody I'm going to get into trouble because people were cancelling IVF treatments which is wonderful they were saved thousands of euro but as well they got this wonderful prize their little baby and um, I've had women, I have had, I'm one now that I'm thinking of in my mind um, who had gone down the route of IVF three times. She was going into her fourth time. She had never had egg retrieval. She had never gotten to that stage. The eggs were never good enough to retrieve. Um, and, uh, and she said, look, I'm going to do another cycle now. And I said, no, I said, 
if you could trust me, could you hit pause and go on for your next cycle? And I'm conscious of your age, so we're not going to hit pause for long. And let's give this a minimum of, let's work for a minimum of four months if we can, before you start your next cycle. And she said, look, okay. And we did such a deep program. She got 16 eggs retrieved when she went for her next cycle. So she went from zero over three cycles to 16, but putting in some really hard work and she really dedicated herself to it. It wasn't that hard, but it was a, mind, a mindset change for her. Um, but I have another woman, I have a couple, I'll tell you this one. Um, she came into me in late 30s and um, wanted to get pregnant. She was going to try and get pregnant by herself. So there was no partner. And um, so, you know, she was really dedicated. This is what she wanted to do. And she had such a history of um, immune dysfunction. Um, she, is, she was diagnosed with IBS as a child and it had followed her throughout her whole life. There was so much going on for this woman, um, a very irregular cycle, no idea what was going on. And we did some tests. We did what's called a Dutch test, which is a fantastic test for looking at hormone profiles and the metabolites of hormones, what they're breaking into, what's influencing. Um, and a huge amount came up, cortisol that we just chatted about, DHEA, which is another thing that you'll be very familiar with. Um, and we looked at, you know, we looked at this and I said, where am I going to start with this woman? But you know what? We started somewhere. And as I said at the beginning, everything, especially for a nutritionist, starts in the gut. Your immune function, your serotonin, everything. Hormone health, there's a big interface between gut bacteria and estrogen. It's called the estrobolome. And so we started in the gut and we got a handle on her IBS. So she, for her already, now this was a win. And then the knock-on effect of our work, her autoimmune disorder um, started, we, we were able to manage it, we'd say. And within, I think it was eight months, maybe eight and a half months, um, she was ready for the next stage. She was ready to go down that donor route in, in uh, IVF. And uh, she got her eggs, she got her pregnancy, and, you know, but not only that, Elan, she got much better health alongside it so there was it was a double a double win for her and um, and you know what and we started at the basics and I always say to everybody you have we have to start somewhere and you know what let's look at the basics and um, what's digestive health like you know do we think that we're this person is metabolizing detox and clearing their hormones what's this what's the person's sleep like so what's their melatonin like you know it, it, what's their sugar balance like because and it's not necessarily that we want to balance their sugars of course we do but it's the effect of insulin that comes from imbalanced sugars is what we're trying to affect we're trying to affect the ins insulin influence and so there's so much going on start somewhere and my advice is always start with the gut because if you get the gut right that's the foundation. And without the foundation, you can't target things like egg health or sperm health or uterine receptivity. You need to get the foundations right first. So the tips I gave earlier would be part way to getting those foundations in place. But for any practitioners looking, get the foundations in place with your client, get their sleep right, make sure they're hydrated, make sure they're out in nature and that they are getting that holistic health view around themselves. Somebody like yourself now, Eland, with that holistic health coaching, this is what this is what you need to do. You need a holistic, a holistic approach, and you do need to coach your clients through these changes, help them clear away any barriers that might be in the way for them, changing mindsets and rewarding things for them. You know, it's that's exactly where I would start. Nice, yeah, that's amazing to hear. Really powerful. Um, so a few interesting things that you said. Um, when it comes to the Dutch test, um. 
that's something that you do uh, with, uh, is it saliva or urine? It's urine. It's dried urine. Okay. Um, and then with DHEA, that's mm -hmm. one of the main blood markers for healthy fats, isn't it? Yes, and hormone precursor as well. So, uh, so and DHEA and cortisol, um, depending on the test you're getting done, you can map DHEA as well with cortisol. And if cortisol is dropping, and if DHEA is dropping, you have a lot of work to do on the adrenal glands. Whereas if cortisol itself is just dropping and DHEA is staying where it is, then you you know you, you have a bit of work to do. And yes, we know there's a lot of stress going on, but if both have dropped, that DHEA is dropping, we need to correct that because that is an important hormone for reproductive health, testosterone, etc. So that's yeah. really, really important. Cool. Yeah. And I was just thinking there, like uh, because like a lot of people might perceive fast the macronutrient as like oh fat is bad because it makes you fat but like <laughs> it's not the case at all right because it's an essential oh my goodness and i tell uh, you something Elan, when somebody comes into me with their bottle of water and they're telling me that they're so proud that they're on a no fat low fat diet i'm like oh. right okay so these are the top two things that are changing your steroid hormones which are your sex hormones your estrogen progesterone testosterone Oh my goodness, if you don't have fats, you don't have those hormones. So we and as well with regards to our cells, I remember the OO site, that egg cell, um, is the largest cell in the body. And the outer, the outer layer of our cells is, is, is that fatty layer. And now if you have your saturated fats from your cakes and your biscuits and your you know heavy red meats, that could make that outer layer of the egg um, very tight. So it's difficult to get nutrition in and it's difficult to get waste out of that cell. Whereas if you're taking your good fats, and Elan, you and I both know what those good fats are. So if you're taking your good, healthy fats, you have a lovely permeable cell membrane, your, your nutrients are getting in, your waste products are getting out, you're building your, your sex hormones, your steroid hormones. Cholesterol, the horrible word that everybody hates, begins <laughs> everything. So you need to get those. You need to get those good fats in. You need your cholesterol. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's really interesting because uh, cholesterol is literally the building blocks of all your hormones: progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, everything that's important, right? Everything. Everything starts with cholesterol. Your 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 sex hormones and your stress hormones. Every hormone is built on cholesterol. And I can see the hormone pathway map in my brain now, which I love. Uh, I might send it to you if you wanted to have a look at it, Elaine. You probably have it already. And it's cholesterol is at the very top. And all our other hormones and all the metabolites, everything else is underneath it. Um, but without cholesterol, without those good fats, you can forget good hormone health. It's as simple yeah. as that. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned saturated fat because that gets a bit of a bad rap as well. But as far as I'm aware, like we need to have a balance of all three, you know, saturated, polyunsaturated, monounsaturated. So it's not yeah. that saturated fat is not good or bad. It just depends on how much you're into volume. 100%. And I suppose the main fat we would be trying to stay away from is your trans fat. Yeah. So that's your that's your chemically altered fat. And again, that would be in your cakes and your pastries and the whole lot. And I suppose we're, we're lucky where we are in Ireland that, you know, under the EU, there's there's a there's a lot of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Trans fats aren't as easily available, not they are available, but you're, you're discouraged from using them. Whereas if we were in somewhere like the States, there isn't really the, um, 
that hold on the trans fats. It could be in everything, you know. Um, so trans fats, if, if something is, is in its trans fat, if something is in the trans fat form, stay away from it. Yeah, for sure. Like there's not many things that we have to avoid at all costs, but trans fats and a lot of a lot of colors as well that are added to yeah. foods would be things that we, we'd need to stay away from. Um, because like, yeah, that's that's something that I noticed as well. Like um, if you look at any kind of American products not all of them, but some of them, if you actually read the nutrition label, you'll see like there's this different red colorant, green colorant. And a lot of those are actually, I'm not sure if they're banned, but a lot of them are like not in any products at all. That's it. That's it. So you're absolutely right. And things we're, we're very lucky because a lot of these baddies are either banned or restricted, you know, so, so we are lucky. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then when it comes to uh, like, let's say the adrenals, um would like a really simple way of improving your adrenal function be literally just like improving your sleep uh having less stress as you said you know going out for walks in nature doing some workouts doing things that allow you to kind of feel better absolutely and then eating foods that are rich in the b vitamins rich in vitamin c and so i suppose if you if you if you take it in a couple of things so environmentally let's 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 reduce our stressors, whatever those stressors are, lack of sleep that we talked about. So you might have to introduce sleep hygiene there. Um, so reduce your stressors as much as possible and then relax the body as much as possible and bring in foods and nutrients that we know support adrenal health. So these would be your B vitamins, your C vitamins, or your vitamin C, etc. So foods, just Google that, foods high in vitamin C, foods high in B6 and B12 and other B vitamins, and you're on the really good path there as well. And, uh, and you know, stay hydrated, because if, if your cells are dehydrated, that's a stress on the body. So the stress response a stress on the body will initiate the stress response. And um, so anything that's a stress or any infections you haven't dealt with, deal with them. Um, and inflammation is one of the biggest stresses. But we can't see it if it's internally. But inflammation comes from the Western lifestyle and the Western diet. So if we can reverse, if we can do the opposite to the Western diet and the opposite to the Western lifestyle, we know that we're promoting progesterone and our adrenal health. Yeah, amazing. And like, there's so many different things that contribute to, um, you know, being inflammatory. Um, and obviously stress would be a big one. Not having that much sleep would be a big one. The quality of the food that you're eating um, and the amount as well. Because uh, if you're eating way over the calories that you need based on how active you are, that's causing a lot of inflammation at a cellular level as well, because your body is then trying to process all this extra energy that it has to, so that causes inflammation. Yeah. Um, so it, it all just comes back to having a balance with things, right? And, and understanding yeah. what that balance is for, for your- 100%, you know, and I mean, sugar is one of the biggest drivers of inflammation as well. And so, as you say, it's all about having everything balanced. And if we can go, if we can eat, a clean whole food diet. And for those who aren't sure what a whole food diet is, a whole food, food diet is when the, the entirety of that food is there. So for example, your white and your brown rice, white rice isn't whole food because that brown husk has been taken off. The brown rice is the whole food because the whole lot of it is there. So if we have our, our eating the rainbow, we're eating a whole food diet, clean proteins, everything balanced, exercising, hydrated, sleeping well, Mm -hmm. what isn't there to love with that picture you know 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's an interesting point about brown and white rice because I've had a good few people say to me like, oh, I try and avoid white things completely. And like, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. It, it might contradict it a little bit, but the way that I would approach it is like when you look at the nutrient value in something that's brown or white, it's not a huge difference. But if the thing is that you're completely trying to avoid all white things and now that's causing a restriction in your mind and as a result of you restricting yourself now you're just like oh well i'm not gonna i don't like brown rice so now i'm forcing myself to eat something i don't like then that's causing unnecessary stress you know for for the benefit that you would get from a white versus a brown grain versus the stress that you would get from eating something that you don't like it's it's not really worth that trade-off. So that's just yeah. kind of like a, kind of a nuanced thing that that I've seen. I'm not sure if you agree with that or not. I agree with you so much, Elan. And this is why you're a holistic health coach. And this is why people need to listen to what you're saying. Because you know something, whenever somebody comes into clinic to me, the very first, I, I don't like saying I'm a nutritionist or a nutrition therapist because automatically people are like shamed. And I say to them, I say, I, I'm not, I am the furthest thing that you will find from the food police. I'm going to tell you what would be wonderful to add into your diet. I'm going to tell you some of the things that might be better to take out of your diet, but you're in charge of this. I'll, I'll tell you the pros and the cons. And you're absolutely right, Elan. If it's a case of having my wonderful curry that I've made from scratch with a huge array of vegetables and some lovely protein in there with it, and I'm having it with white rice, absolutely fine that's absolutely fine because you're getting your carbohydrates you're getting your grains okay it's not the whole food variety of it but you're going to eat it and it's going with something healthy whereas if i said no that has to be with the whole grain you're like i'm not going to eat it i'm going to put on a slice of toast i mean which is which is better so you're absolutely right and that's why we should all be working from we should all be working from where the client is at maybe in months time they might say look i'm going to try it Maybe they won't, but we meet them where they're at and we, we encourage bringing in as much good as we can. We Not to the degree, as you say, that somebody is completely turned off by it because that's that's totally defeating the purpose of trying to help them. So you, we're singing the same song, Elan. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Nice. Glad to hear that. Yeah, I think that just taking the long-term picture into you know into account is, is the most important thing because anyone can do something harder restrictive for a short time but at the end of the day if it's not gonna allow you to yield results and feel your best in 10 years time 20 years time 30 like there's no point yeah. doing that that thing just for a short you know time period to absolutely. get absolutely yeah that's the quick fix that's the, the the plaster we talked about at the start yeah yeah that's not that's not looking at how to ensure that function continues well you know so you're absolutely right on that Cool. Um, so I'm really interested, you know, uh, about Women's Health Network and, and you recently set that up. So I'd love to hear some more about yeah. what that is and um, the fertility expert program that you're, you know, you've launched mm -hmm. recently. Wonderful. I'd love to talk about it. So Women's Health Network began its life as the Fertility Health Clinic, which was my clinic here in Ireland. Now I did have overseas clients, so it was part virtual even before um, COVID. And, uh, and I've also been a lecturer for most of my working life, we'd say. Um, and I needed to bring the two together. I was grown as a practitioner. I suppose a lot of women were coming to me because of my age as well. They were coming to me looking for menopausal support. And it was, you know, and I was like, there's, there's so many practitioners 
out there and individuals who need a wider scope that I'm offering right now. So Women's Health Network was born from it and Women's Health Network is focused. So I, I, I focus predominantly now on practitioners and training practitioners. I still have a private clinic, which I don't advertise, but I still get a really good flow of clients coming through that. And so Women's Health Network is a it's a membership community for those who want to join the membership, practitioners who want to join the membership. Um, and it's also a, a place where we teach practitioners advanced training. So, um, so it, it focuses on women's health and fertility, of course. And it's for practitioners who, who focus then themselves on nutrition and um, coaching functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, any of those CAM practices, the complementary and alternative medicine practices um, can come in and they can do the training. And um, I, I have some amazing people on the training. We only began last week. Would you, is it this week? What day should I say? We only began this week. We began on Monday the 6th. And, uh, and it's really exciting. I have a fabulous cohort of practitioners who have started. And then within Women's Health Network, then we have a referral scheme. So, um, as I say, I still have people who come to me looking for support and therapy and what have you, and I can't support them all. So I have a referral scheme. So I have a number of practitioners who I can refer out to. They're mainly in Ireland, the UK and America, um, but they work virtually. So, so Women's Health Network is predominantly a practitioner support, um, practitioner training, practitioner mentoring business. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And and such a great, you know, um, course to have and, and community because it's it's very hard to find like minded people, you know, especially when it's a very specialized yeah. area. 100 percent. You're so right. And that's what they're all saying. And then the fertility expert coach training. I'm so proud that it started last summer putting it through accreditation it has been awarded at the top level of accreditation so level seven accreditation so it's a 12-month program and um, six months is functional medicine and fertility physiology six months then is focusing on coaching the client through their journey so we have that that both sides of the coin as well promoting reproductive health and coaching the, the the person through their their path to parenthood really so um so we we do need that support and there are i mean i have some practitioners in the course that are fertility nurses individuals who've gone through fertility challenges themselves so they know i always say myself that i know that fertility journey um from both sides, from practitioner to patient and back to practitioner. So a lot of the fertility coaches that I'm training already have a background in fertility and they also have that knowledge from a personal space with regards to a fertility challenge as well. So I've tried to bring everything together that I know we need. It's as simple as that. Amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, something I want to go back to from earlier because I think this is something that it's not talked about enough um, and it should definitely be talked about more but um so some people that i've worked with in the past they've mentioned how their ivf wasn't successful or they might have had a miscarriage at some point and that's obviously a really you know massive thing to go through very emotionally difficult so i suppose it'd be interesting to get your perspective on like if somebody has experienced that you know what would you kind of say to that person or what would you recommend or yeah. like what's kind of like how do you move forward you know from kind of a traumatic event like that yeah that's that's you know and again this is that emotive side of, of fertility journey nothing with fertility is ever um guaranteed at all 
And, you know, when you're throwing a dice at IVF, I mean, it's so expensive and it's so like your chances are not high often. And so there can be so much attached to it. And then, of course, you factor in miscarriage, which is, you know, that's the loss of a much loved pregnancy. That that little baby had a personality in the parents' minds already, had a name most likely. And, you know, you could envisage life as a family. So you're grieving all of that. You're grieving if you cannot get pregnant, if, if your journey comes to the end and there is no baby at the end of the journey. Again, you have to be able to grieve that because that is a huge loss. And often people will say you can't miss what you haven't had. And I just hate the thought of anybody saying that to somebody who hasn't had a baby because you have experienced it because you have thought of that child. You have you've worked so hard to try and get that child. So you are allowed to grieve the loss of that child and what that child would have brought to you and would have made you know what that little family would have looked like so again I have some amazing therapists actually this isn't an area that I would I wouldn't be working directly with this person and um, because I have practitioners who actually work with individuals who have reached the end of the journey and haven't had a baby and you need to be in a safe space with somebody who can who can who has experienced that and who is a coach that can coach you through it so that's that's what I would say on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. That's really powerful. Um, so what I'll do, like in the in the description, you know, for anyone, um, what I'll do is I'll include all your details. We're not finished chatting yet, but I just wanted to say, like, I'll include all your details. And you know, if somebody is is in that kind of situation and they're not sure what to do, they can always maybe reach out to you, or if it's to someone that you know, um, you would maybe refer out to, and at least they know that the support is there there's people out there that you can you know kind of get in contact with please please do you know and we're there to support you we train we've trained to support you and we keep pushing ourselves further and further down this this fertility knowledge route so we have as much information and knowledge and support that we can give you so whoever needs it on whatever stage of your journey that you're on, please do reach out. And I, as I said, I have some wonderful practitioners that I could be able to put you out to, or you might end up coming to myself. We'll, we'll figure all of that out. Amazing. Good stuff. So just to finish off, um, I wanted to just throw some quick fire questions at you. Bring them on. <laughs> um, so what I want you to do is like, don't really think about it. Just first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Just say it. All right. So what's your favorite dessert? Oh, meringue. <laughs> Great load of sugar. Inflammation, <laughs> here we come. <laughs> nice. uh, favorite meal? That's a tricky one. Probably something with salmon. Yeah, I think salmon. Yeah, nice. salmon and veg. <laughs> what would be your favorite sport to watch? Swimming. I love watching swimming. Yeah. Interesting. Anyone in particular? No, I don't even know their names, but I do <laughs> like watching swimming. <laughs> or horse riding I like watching I like watching uh, horse riding as a or you know Gymkhana type things nice uh favorite holiday that you've ever been on or favorite destination oh gosh well I've been on some fabulous hilarious holidays and um, with my female friends so um I was on more serious romantic ones with my husband and um, I think I've been on holidays to Greece and Turkey and I just fabulous times fun laughter sunshine good friends you can't beat it nice uh number one favorite way to relax 
you know something? I love sitting down with a candle. I have one you can probably see in the background yeah. here. Um, a friend of mine, I don't know if I can plug her, a friend of mine makes um, non-fragranced candles. No, they are fragranced, but they're all soya candles, natural candles, cup scents. That's the name of her company. And I, she gives me so many candles. And I, I love sitting with a candle and closing my eyes. No, I can't see the candle when my eyes are closed, but I know it's there. And I just love that to relax. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a good way to help your nervous system calm down, having a smell that relaxes you. you know? 100%. Yeah. Cool. Uh, favorite musical artist or genre of music? Favorite musical artist of all time, Michael Jackson. Anything he sings, if I'm feeling low and I want to, I want to get up, I listen. All I need is his voice. That's it. That's me sold. Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, do you know something? I'm actually addicted to. You think there's? You think that I don't know? I'm addicted to Turkish series. I absolutely love the acting in them. I love the language. I love Turkey. Um, so my favorite series. There's a fabulous one I'm watching at the moment on Netflix called Black Love Money. Black Money Love. Um, anything Turkish, I'm there. Nice. Uh, favorite film? Dirty Dancing. No <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> With Patrick Swayze, is it? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, someone that you're a big fan of? Someone that I'm a big fan of. I'm actually a huge fan of my husband, and I know that might sound really um, soppy, but I'm a huge fan of my husband. He has supported me through so much. He supported me through fertility challenges. The challenge was mine. It was I was the one with the issue. Um, he supported me through studies. He supported me setting up my business. I mean, this guy would support me and he would give me the last few pence out of his pocket, even if he had no socks to walk around and to help me, you know, build my business and my dreams. So he's my biggest fan, softy as it is. So, <laughs> or at least, no, I, he's not my biggest fan. He might be. He's my biggest hero. <laughs> so then last one, uh, what's your favorite book? My favorite book. No, I love, there's a bit of a theme coming through here, Elan. I love um, romantic novels. I absolutely love them. And I also write them. And that's what some people don't often know. Um, but my favorite book, my favorite book is actually a child's book. And it is one that I remember. It was the first book I read cover to cover without stopping when I was a small child. And I have read it to my children and they absolutely love it. It's an Enid Blyton book, The Magic Faraway Tree. And it just, it always brings magic to my mind. And um, I, I remember, you know, in my, before I had my children, I would often think back to this book and just the feeling it gave me. And I have passed that on to my children who absolutely adore it. So The Magic Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton, my favorite book ever. Nice. That's really good. Um, for uh, something that's like maybe more uh, educational, like that's a, that's a fiction book, right? that's yes well I think oh. it is <laughs> maybe it's not <laughs> it'll be real uh, if, if you were to say like what would you, what would be your favorite like non-fiction uh, or, or maybe more educational based book gosh there are so many um I love Dickens Weatherby who is a, a functional medicine practitioner and he does a lot on um blood analysis which I think you would find really interesting as well and he does a lot on um um, I suppose clinical skills is what you would call it. So, so signs and symptoms to look out for for people coming into your clinic. Um, what other ones? God, there are so many. Um, I leaf through so many books. I don't know if I could actually pick one out, but I, I think that would be one of my top ones as a clinician. 
Um, I have one behind me called A Brain is Born, which I really like as well. Um, and that is one that I, I often go to just to remind myself of the importance of the brain and I suppose how we as coaches as well can um, help not influence thought, but help reframe thoughts for, for individuals. And the brain is that top down when it comes to everything. So a brain is born is one that I, I like to just take out and flick through. I have so many books. I have a room here next to me. And it's, I was saying to my husband, my, my hero the other day, that I wanted to go into that room and I need to take out all those books and put them on the shelves behind me. And um, I dip in and out of some books, but there's one that every woman actually who is looking to get pregnant has probably heard of. It's um, Rebecca Fel Rebecca Feltz. Um, it starts with an egg. That's a wonderful book. Might be a bit heavy because some of the terminology is heavy, but everything that's written in that book is something that I have been advocating for years. So that's a good one, actually. Um, other than that, take your pick of any of the health books. I, I love them all. You know, I could I run down that rabbit hole and could stay there for hours reading them. And I'm much more of a paper person than an online. I, 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 I was printing out stuff yesterday now because I was like, no, I need I need the paper format of this. Maybe because I'm a writer as well. I just love that, you know. So yeah. It's amazing. Um that uh it's funny you mentioned that book because that was one of the main books that I read on fertility a few years ago. Um, Rebecca Fett. Um, yeah. so highly recommended for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's great to hear yeah. that, that you recommend it too. So I know I'm kind of along the, the right lines. Uh, if you've, oh gosh, you 100% are, she's superb and she's a scientist as well. So all she has done all the research. Um, and, and so this book is to be very much charged to yourself and myself who have that background in science and understanding of a lot of the language, but for somebody who doesn't have it, it's, it's quite an easy book to read as well if you just take it at face value and don't worry about the stats and things like that mm -hmm. yeah amazing good stuff so um i like we could probably chat all day but uh all day long <laughs> no you're busy you've got things to do so we can cap it there but um you know it was really great to chat and i really appreciate you know sharing everything and it was great to connect and um i can end the recording now in a minute we can we can chat after but um Brilliant. just before we finish the recording um, where if people want to get in contact with you, um, what's the, the best place to go to or, or how should they go about that? Of course. So there are a number of ways you can contact me through email, which would be hello at womenshealthnetwork.co.uk. Um, and it's women's with an S at the end of it. You can get me on Instagram and Facebook, the same womenshealthnetwork.co.uk. You can text me or phone me on 087-792-7192. And um, the easiest is probably text or email. That would be the easiest. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find me in any of those areas. You can contact me any way that you see is best for you. And once I get that message, I'll come straight back to you. Perfect. Nice. And I'll include all the links in the description below. So they'll all be there. So yeah, thanks Mel, for your time today. I'll end the recording and then we can have a quick chat after. Thanks, Elon. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank right. you. Thank you.